As we prepare to launch this podcast, the country's long battle of racism and bigotry has been exposed yet again. So as Black people, we feel that it's necessary to begin our conversations with this moment in history. Hey guys, I'm Tiana Scott. And I'm Travis Scott. And this is I I Now Now Pronounce You. You. Where we reflect on our experiences and give our opinions on life. It can be hard to take the time to process everything life throws at us. So we're making the time to do just that. We welcome you to I I Now Now Pronounce You. You. State of Emergency. So each episode... The title's presented after the intro, so this one would be, I now pronounce you, State of Emergency. The recent murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the hands of law enforcement, has sparked conversation, riots, ousting of bigots, and racists around the world. Whether you can donate to the cause with organizations like Until Freedom, that activist Tamika Mallory is involved in, March in a protest, bring awareness to others that may need to have conversations. Actions are needed, whether big or small. Tamika Mallory is an activist out of New York, and she's also one of the three women who organized the 2017 Women's March, which um, which was how I was exposed to her. Uh, she has a viral video currently going on of her speech where she addressed Um, the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. And that is going to be the the pretty much where our discussion is going to come from today is from um, some of the clips from that speech. Here's the first clip. And so we are in a state of emergency. Black people are dying in a state of emergency. We cannot look at this as an isolated incident. The reason why buildings are burning are not just for our brother, George Floyd. So, Trav, do you feel we are in a state of emergency? 100%. Um, This is a time where uh, we need to recognize what's going on in the the country. And uh, we need to recognize what's going on with our people, 100%. And it's definitely been like this. No secret to at least the black community. It's been like this forever. It's never um, mm-hmm. changed. As Out- long as we can remember. Outwardly, you know, you may see black people become successful. You may see them own, you know, homes and, and cars and have families and uh, be able to speak in a way where they can get their truth out. However, a large percentage of the population goes through so many different things. Um, they have to navigate through a world that isn't designed for them. And quite frankly, we're tired. Exhausted. So this state of emergency, it, I'm, I definitely agree that uh, it should be called that. Um, we have been, by large, uh, peaceful. We have been, you know, taking, taking one on the chin for hundreds of years and it's getting, it is to a point, especially with social media, especially with people um, mobilizing and using their voices in, in a way that is far different than our, our ancestors have been able to do. It is, it's just so important that everyone understand this. 
And what I realized um, throughout this so far is that this time is not for us. It is not a time for black people to, you know, feel bad about what has been happening or sit in our sorrow and our pain. This time of, of people educating each other is to educate those who don't understand it, who think everything, who thinks everything is okay, who, you know, maybe you know some black people and you're like, oh, you know, he's fine. Uh, I see him every day. He just got a promotion at work. Just because those things um, on the outside may be presented to you in that way does not mean that everything is okay. And this should be an awakening for the country and for the world to know that people, black people, are tired. It's a huge eye-opener. Um, I think about all of the coworkers I had in the past and in my life in corporate America. Um, I think about um, friends I had growing up. Uh, I think about classmates. I think about um, teammates um, in any situation. And I think this is a very important time. And I think that people like to think, you know, that this is happening, you know, because of George Floyd specifically. Um, yes, this may have been the tip of the iceberg for this present day time, but these stories have been happening for hundreds of years. And, you know, they aren't always recorded. There aren't always people around to witness. And, you know, it's just, it's really, it's really hard to talk about, actually. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's always in the back of your mind. And I know that, you know, later in this segment, we'll go into this. Um, but for black men, it's 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 almost like a, a second thought process. You know, you almost have to live in two separate worlds, uh, which is psychologically draining uh, in itself. And America's wounds and scars, you know, they're definitely being exposed for more and more to see. And I think oftentimes black people were told uh, to go along with it. Um, in, in order to succeed. So, yeah, somebody might make comments to you or you may get overlooked for something or you may not have a certain type of opportunity or the way that you have to conduct yourself um, has to be in a specified way. But that's how you'll make it or that's how you'll continue on. And I think that we want to stop that narrative that you have to speak a certain way, come from a certain place and have a certain intention in order to get where you need to be in life. Um, people don't understand the, the systematic issues that come along um, with racism. And oftentimes when people speak, they are afraid to offend people because just because you maybe have white friends or you know white people or you may even have them in your family. It doesn't always mean that they automatically understand. And if you speak out about it, oftentimes you can be perceived as, you know, focusing only on race. I hate the narrative that you're labeled as instantly as the activist if you talk about basic human rights. 
I mean, not only black rights, but just basic human rights, then you're labeled as, oh, if you get into a conversation with Travis, he's just going to talk to you about the inequities of the black man. And I'm pretty sure you don't want to have a conversation about that during lunch. But isn't that the current state of America? Yeah. And they're they're not easy conversations to have because someone is always going to want to point the finger. If you say, you know, I experienced this, you might get five people saying, well, how do you know it's because you're black? You know, and so it's it's kind of hard to have those those different conversations and for you not to be labeled as, you know, not a person for all, you know, kind of like the Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter situation. That tears me apart. Um, And we had a conversation about that actually earlier this week about how um, I gave the the example. um, Actually, I got this from a clip that I watched where D.O. Hughley explained that if there's only one house on fire and the other neighbors are saying, you know, hey, uh, what about our houses too? Um, Their house isn't at risk of being burned down completely. Uh, So we have to focus on that one home as opposed to the others. Yeah, so one house is on fire and the others were not. Correct. But they're saying our houses matter too. Exactly. Yeah, okay, now I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, yeah. So I just go ahead and play the second clip um, from Tamika Mallory's speech. And we are not responsible for the mental illness that has been inflicted upon our people by the American government, institutions, and those people who are in positions of power. So that kind of speaks to the systematic uh, way that things are aligned. Um, You know, our school systems are often created to keep a certain population in certain places, Um, Real estate agents sometimes only sell certain properties to certain people. Yep. Um, There's just all of these things that are put into play that kind of pigeonhole you into that position. And I wonder if there is a second education for those who aren't black. So, for instance, we have the uh, metaphor of street smarts. So it's, you know, it's a set of rules and set of uh, and a sort of mind frame that we have to carry as African-Americans to preserve our life. And I don't know if every other culture has that. Well, I'm sure our our, our brown brothers, uh, our, uh, you know, other minorities uh, have the, a similar sort of uh, set of rules that we're not aware of. But, um, you know, we're taught redlining at a younger age. Uh, we're taught about. You know, things like that. So as a black man, what are your feelings about what's happening right now? Or maybe even some experiences that you have had? Well, um, I know for a fact that um, there is a there was at some point in time. I think that this is sort of like a revolution, not sort of like an uprising in America where we're going to promote a civil war, which is very much possible. But I feel like this is the the uh, connection between those brothers that said, hey, you know, why are you acting white? Why are you talking white? Why are you trying to, you know, be anything other than what your culture is? And we're like, hey, man, we figured out the secret or the formula to being able to succeed in, in corporate America or just in life in general, which is, you have to kind of match your enemies and see where they are. 
Um, but I've also experienced, you know, I remember when I was in a suit and uh, we were in our second apartment and I had a great job at a, at a financial institution. And I took a lunch break to drop our daughter off at the doctor's office. And um, you met me there and we, you know, you said, okay, honey, you took the rest of the day off. I'm going to head back to work. And I drove down the highway and I got pulled over. And the first thing that the Caucasian cop said to me is, oh, why are you dressed so nice? This is a nice car. Mm. Let me get your license and registration. And, um, you know, I'm, I, I've recently quit the habit of, of, of smoking tobacco, but I had a capone in my hand and I, I was respectful and I put that out. And, um, you know, she asked me all these inquisitive questions that I don't feel like she would have asked someone outside of the race. And she made sure she gave me the max ticket that she could give me. And then I come back to that financial institution um, and the boss is addressing me. You know, I let you leave. Um, why are you late? And I said, well, I got a ticket. And I tried to explain myself. And they're just like, they gave me to look like you niggas is all the same. You know, like. Because mm, then it's that stereotype of being late and not being punctual. Ex- yeah. And were you really where you say you were going to be? Were you really taking your child to the doctor? I literally you know? had the ticket in my hand. And, you know, um, it's those things that kind of create that fire in black men. Um, a lot of us are perceived as aggressive and, you know, always, you know, sort of like submitting to you know, like the status quo. And that's not really the case. I think the thing is, is that a lot of us are frustrated uh, with the the current state of America and and how things work. Um, We know that the, you know, the the justice system is out of whack. It needs to be reformed. Prison reform is necessary. We know that there are inequalities in the workplace where my resume could bomb out all of my peers, um, but I'm still looked over time and time again. And that's part of the reason why I left corporate America is because I felt like I was doing everything I needed to do. I achieved all of the goals and I just, I, I succeeded beyond, you know, perception or I exceeded beyond, you know, expectation and I still was looked over and it frustrated well, me. I think that kind of goes back to, because um, a little while ago when I asked you that question and you started talking about, you know, how you have to, you know, why do you talk white or white, how you present yourself in America as a black man to be able to fit into certain rooms, I think that creates a complex. And I think that goes along with what she was saying, Tamika Mallory was saying about um, how it's almost been like a mental illness on black people to have to to think about that. So if I'm, if I am, you know, having to consist constantly code switch and be aware of how everyone how I'm presenting myself to everyone. That is exhausting on top of everyday life. Because you're turning that switch on and you're turning it off. And, you know, the thing about this is, is that it has to be taught. So my mother, who was in a uh, sort of in in corporate America as well, I observed how she presented herself and how she spoke. And I just replicated that. And then I also remember that, you know, she stressed the importance of enunciation and, and grammar and, uh, you know, vocabulary and all these different things. And uh, I took that into, into the workplace with me. Yeah. So um, I was trying to think of maybe a specific time that I've experienced racism, but I've honestly, I feel like I've almost been numb to it, numb to a lot of situations. And oftentimes it was more 
comments that were being made, like because uh, I was a, a, a young black mom, you know, the father probably wasn't in the child's life or did I even know the father or, um, you know, things to, to that nature would be stated. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so, if, if I gave a look, oh, they didn't mean it that way. Or maybe you took it wrong or they're always saying outlandish things. It was almost like an excuse. And that's what I mean by this time is not necessarily for black people to educate themselves. This is the time for people who say things like that, that cop that thought those things about you. It's time for them to educate themselves about how they should be um, perceiving black people, checking some of the stereotypes they may have and realizing how they can be an ally or part of the solution and not a part of the problem because those attitudes are then passed on to their children. Uh, I've been uh, really into this Netflix show called All American, and it really resonated with me because it talks about the struggles of a young black man uh, growing up in a uh, lower income area and then you know trying to find his way into uh, creating a better life for himself. And so there was a moment where he's been trying to, you know, save a friend of his who unfortunately got caught up in some sort of gang activity and, um, you know, evading, her, you know, or coming to her aid. Uh, he eventually got shot. So he was taken to the hospital in Beverly Hills. And um, as he was, uh, you know, you know, just being rushed to the ER, uh, there were uh, a lot of doctors and nurses and they just assumed that it was related to gang violence. And they were saying that, oh, we have to do um, what's the report where they have to test if you're, you know, if you have any anything in your system, we have to do like a toxic report or something like that. And, um, you know, the black nurse was the only one that's saying, hey, we don't know anything about this young man and we have to save him. And because the black nurse was there, we they saved his life. Um, but if she wasn't there, he would have died. And then afterwards, um, you know, they saw that he was a straight A student. He was an all-American football player in the top 100. And there was, um, you know, hundreds of people outside of his bedroom window with signs saying it will soon. And then the doctor and also the nurse who were, you know, who weren't on African-American, they saw that and they felt bad. And then the African-American nurses was just looking like this is part of the problem, you know. The one hope I do have is teaching the younger generation, um, teaching middle school students. I get close to some of these students, a lot of them actually, and we have these conversations about um, race and stereotypes, and those things are really priceless to me. And what they've taught me is that America does have these un ugly wounds, right? And this younger generation, they are so interested in it. I teach reading intervention, and in between, um, you know, me moving between lessons, I'll have a student say, hey, Ms. Scott, tell me about Emmett Till. What happened to him? Hey, Ms. Scott, why, you know, why did this happen or why did that happen? Hey, what do you think about this? And they want to have these conversations. They want to they want to have a voice and they want to share their opinions and they're interested in it. And um, a lot of my uh, Latino and Latina students, they want to have these conversations about what's happening in their culture and how they're perceived and um, even thoughts that their parents have about the black community and how we can remedy those. And Black and brown are tied, definitely. But there's still disparities between all. 
Yeah. Um, definitely. There's there definitely is, and you know we can go into to that at a at a later date. I just really wanted to be sensitive to this time and to kind of talk out and air out some of the things that we're thinking about. I know we don't have all the answers. I know that, you know, it, it's hard to articulate um, how to put everything into words, how to feel or how to rationalize during this time. Um, but one thing I will take away from this conversation is that things are happening. We need to process them. And we need not to pretend like these things don't happen. And I've been thankful to um, allies in my own life that I don't even have to mention or bring up the conversation, and they bring it up to me and share their thoughts on it. And I see their thoughts presented through social media so that others can understand and know where they stand. There's no if, and, or but about it. And I think I think that is greatly needed. What's your takeaway? And, um, you know, my final thought is that I, I'd, I'd have to agree. Um, you know, it, if it's not a personal conversation, it's definitely something I see on social media. And um, I'm, for some strange reason, I'm surprised um, because I didn't think that, I think for black men, it's always been in our head and we've always been told Oh, it's in your head. Oh, he's giving that old uh, excuse of a uh, black man can't get ahead in America type of thing. And it's like, finally, you guys are feeling a little bit of what we walk around as black men every day. And that's part of the reason why I'm so glad that, um, you know, I married someone in my culture. Not that there's anything, you know, wrong with that if you marry outside your culture. Um, but I think the black woman understands the black man so much uh, because they were you know, ex they've experienced black men in their families, whether it's uncles or or dads. Um, and I just think that my final thought is that I'm so glad that, you know, everyone is starting to pay attention to that underlining thought that I thought would always just kind of be tucked away. You know, those those fathers with the grimace on their face when they come home from work and everybody's wondering why. It's just because it's just so hard um, to yeah. just go day to day. And to experience all of these things and then to still come home with a smile on your face is hard. It's tough. Um, but well, as know, as yeah. things change and uh, more and more updates are provided on the, the status of, you know, policies and laws and how different cities plan to address these types of issues, I'm sure we will um, explore this topic more. Um, we will be uploading this episode along with our um, original first episode, which is titled Married. So thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram at I Now Pronounce You. And you can contact us at I Now Pronounce You Pod at gmail.com. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Stay safe.